Mind Radio. This is your host Alejandro Rojas, and I am joined by the wonderful Jason, Super Jason McClellan. Today I'm wonderful and super wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I said uh, just the Super Jason because you were recently at New York Comic Con with all kinds of superheroes, <laughs> or at least people dressed like superheroes. And yeah. does that rub off on you, where you feel kind of a bit like a superhero? No, and in fact, I think <laughs> you feel even less like a superhero if you're not dressed in the cosplay that they're dressed in. Yeah. All, everybody's a superhero but me. Yeah. yeah. Was it most people dressed up there? It was a lot of cosplay, like uh-huh. a lot more than I was expecting, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, some really, really good costumes and tons of people, man. I mean, that thing keeps growing every year. Um, it's almost as mobbed inside the event as san diego is now and san diego is you know the this mammoth um comic-con yeah. in new york it's 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 growing uh, at an incredible rate and almost to that level i i, I it's you don't not really surprising. notice it as much in my opinion really yeah, you, you don't notice it as much from the outside oh, as that you do makes in sense. san diego because new york yeah. is new york city i mean it's yeah. gigantic and there are millions of people going around so the uh, convention center where this event is held, um, it kind of contains the entire event. Whereas mm-hmm. San Diego, kind of that event takes over the entire city. So you don't yeah. have to be at the convention center. You're down the streets. You're at a restaurant. I mean, every restaurant, every um, hotel, every place in San Diego. Superheroes all over town. Associated with. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that you kind of get more of a, a feel of this gigantic event taking over a city or yeah. New York. That's not really possible. Right, right. And I mean, it's funny, too, because everything's mobbed in um, New York. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many people. You a lot of people. definitely can't be like claustrophobic. Um, no, no. And if you are, you've got to get over it pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So cool. That sounds like a lot of fun. And... I think one of the most important things you got to do, at least for uh, our field, is you got to meet Jillian Anderson. Well, you're you're being a little too kind, saying uh, meet. No, well, with the well, not really. See, with a with a photo op, you you get uh, maybe half a second <laughs> to go and stand by the person. They snap the photo, and then and you're, you're done. done. Did you get to say hi at least? Uh, yes, I said hi and. Uh, I don't think she said hello, but when I was done, she said thank you. <laughs> and it looked like you were touching her. Um, Did you get to put your hand on her shoulder or something? I don't think I actually touched her. Oh, okay. I was going to, but they might have had security throw me out. Yeah, you wanted to. Don't touch! She looked really pretty. She looked good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, she's looking pretty good. Yeah, but cool. that, that was a lot of fun, and I wore my alien T-shirt uh, yeah. in the photo too. So I got uh-huh. that in there. It was fun. 
Yeah, that's sweet. Well, cool. Good job, man. Good job. Thank you. So our guest for today, I'm, I'm not even sure you're aware. Do you know who the guest is for this week? No, tell me. I love it. <laughs> it's a surprise. It is Nancy Burns. So she is the wife of Bill Burns. And she's so funny because she's like, well, I don't really do interviews. I'm not very interesting. And what people don't realize, although if you were a subscriber to UFO Magazine, you do realize this, like Jason, you were, that uh, she is the editor or was the editor of UFO Magazine. So, of course, she's an editor of, you know, probably the longest running uh, UFO specific magazine because Fate's been around forever and a very popular magazine. So, uh, yeah, so I talked to Nancy and she is uh, has a lot to say and really fast, fascinating stuff. So a lot of fun. Nancy Burns on the show today. And you're a good person to talk with her about that because you know a thing or two about uh, popular UFO magazines. Yeah. It, yep. Given that we did Open Minds magazine, which, by the way, you can still get the archives uh, and buy lots of those. And uh, they're really cool. So, yeah. So we have this commonality where you know she was an editor she re went to go seek stories uh she didn't write them unlike uh, you and i wrote stories and also sought to uh get stories from people on the outside so yeah so a lot of fun and really interesting and she's been around for some interesting stuff and it seems like maybe she's uh Maybe a tad gun shy, maybe should i say just because you know how it is in this field where uh even if you don't seek to uh, create enemies, you uh, people just kind of get disappointed with your work, and and uh, and you do find enemies, and we know what that's like, don't we, Jason? Something that can't be avoided. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes people just gotta be mean about stuff. Those jerkies. So. A lot of fun. Of course, Jason nor I like to create enemies, so we like to think everybody's our friend um, until they say, screw off, man, I'm not talking to you. And then we'll be like, well, but we still like you and we want to talk to you. But uh, So we talked to Nancy and had a lot of fun. Because she Excellent. thought that we were mad at her for some reason. Were you ever mad at Nancy? No, but I love these rumors. Yeah, the rumors are kind of fun, I guess. Yes. I need to start keeping track of all these mm -hmm. various rumors. Yeah, and you were a subscriber to UFO Magazine. I certainly was. And, and a lot of people were. And one of the things I think we got to clear up was what happened to UFO Magazine. Because a lot of subscribers like you um, started to see them uh, coming far or, you know, not coming out as frequently and then it ended, and we're probably left wondering what happened. So we got to talk about that. Excellent. That sounds like a great interview. Yeah, and almost more interesting, too, or, or equally interesting is how they got involved with it. So, yeah, so it's a lot of fun. We'll talk to Nancy about all this stuff. But before we get to Nancy, why don't you and I talk some UFO news? That sounds like a great idea. You know what's funny? Every time I, I get to this section and I'm like, well, and transition over to UFO news, I always think of the little graphic and music on Spacing Out. Little UFO, <laughs> UFO news. Excellent. That's a good vision to have in your mind. Yeah. So uh, why don't you go first? 
Well, Alejandro, I want to uh, just throw this one out there because I, I think this is a big deal. Okay. Um, the fact that last week NASA announced that they are infusing nearly $50 million into the search for extraterrestrial life. Now, this this is big news uh, to me because I think astrobiology um, is an incredibly important field um, for not only searching for uh, signs of past and present extraterrestrial life, but also looking here and getting a better understanding uh, of life and, and what life is and how life works and where it could possibly exist. I think it's incredibly uh an important field. It's it's great science, and I think it's going to be vital in uh, not only discovering but also convincing the public at large that uh, extraterrestrial life does exist. Mm-hmm. Now, fifty million dollars is awarded to uh, seven different groups, um, including some of NASA's own groups: the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, the Goddard Space Flight Center, um, but also the SETI Institute was awarded some of this money. So these teams are receiving approximately $8 million in grant money, and this is uh, going to last them for five years of astrobiology research. So thank you, NASA. I know a lot of people are skeptical of NASA and uh, might not be the biggest NASA fans. They might suspect that NASA isn't truthful with us and withholds information. I am not of that opinion. I know some people are. But that aside, I think it's fantastic that money is being spent in this field of science that I think is incredibly important and will yield results uh, very quickly. Mm-hmm. See, I agree with you about NASA. Uh, I, I love NASA. I have a glow-in-the-dark NASA T-shirt that I love to wear. I wore it camping nice. last weekend, so that was a lot of fun. But I have mixed feelings about this story. I, it's frustrating on one end. And uh, it's uh, – I'm disappointed with NASA when it comes to astrobiology. I think they, they do a crappy job with it, to be honest. Um, I think there's a lot of other people doing much better work when it comes to astrobiology. Um, and here's some of my points. One, giving money to SETI. SETI's gotten nowhere. I, I hope they do something more worthwhile. I'm not – I think they they do a great public service reaching out and talking to people, and I love them for that. I think they have brilliant minds. I really like them. But the radio signal thing is a waste of time and kind of silly. And I hope they do branch out and try some new and different things and come up with new ideas. That's what's exciting about this news. Hopefully people get some new ideas. Um, The other thing, I mean, when it comes to astrobiology, like the rovers not being able to look at things at a microscopic level that means they're they're a waste when it comes to astrobiology all they can detect is chemicals and minerals that might indicate life but they can't confirm or or observe that unless it's like a fossil or something and even then like the interview with robert hoover which i'm getting to even when they observe fossils like they did uh in the past they've destroyed them and not done further research so I'm I'm really disappointed, and here's one thing I'm really disappointed with too, is because the other story that came out um, of of course our buddies at the University of Sheffield and the University of um, Buckingham at the Center of Astrobiology, they had another story come out where once again they say they have proof of extraterrestrial life. This is nothing new. They say this periodically, 
but their evidence is growing and growing and growing. So we talked about a year ago when they talked about this and this uh, experiment they did where they retrieved some stuff from the stratosphere and they had some arguments as to why the uh, the the uh, biological entities that they found out there could not have been from Earth. And now they have more evidence in that, you know, this guy from... Uh, Professor Milton Wainwright from the University of Sheffield talks about how those were the only things up there. If there was wind or something that blew these things up there, they would see pollens, they would see a lot of different things, but they're not seeing that. So how did they all get filtered out and we're just getting these little, uh, you know, what they're calling dragon particles, these little, what they say, they're calling biological entities, uh, single cell organisms. So uh, I think what they're doing is amazing, and, and it would have been great to see NASA throw them some money or incorporate them because uh, I think they're really on the cusp of something. I'm really excited about what those guys are doing. Well, again, it's about it, it's about uh, you know piling up that evidence. Yeah, you know, it, it does keep mounting, and until we can actually get people to these bodies and the proper scientific equipment there in person for these people to physically take specimens and, and do the proper analysis. Everything is always going to be marked up as most likely contamination. You know, I hate how absolutely everything, even when you see like this detailed fossil or something that mm. there's, they took all the necessary precautions. They still say, Oh, that's contamination. It could be, and it could not be, but you know, until they actually get people there, I don't think they're going to be convinced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we had because Richard Hoover, uh, who was uh, had worked with the University of Buckinghamshire. In fact, he was what was he? He was like a temporary. Uh, he worked with them for a while, but he's a NASA scientist, astrobiologist. We had him at the conference last year and he talked about also, um, you know, uh, the evidence that he feels that is a mass that NASA's kind of just not taking serious yet. Yeah, it, it's always interesting with things like this because um, there have been so many great stories and stories that involve NASA's own people like Richard Hoover that, yeah. uh, you know, just get kind of pushed to, pushed to the side. So I, I yeah. am very confused by responses like that. But I'm hoping that, uh, you know, future research will pave the way to conclusive evidence that people just can't ignore anymore. Yeah, it is exciting. Um I mean, I, I, that's right. I feel so, you know, happy that we had Hoover there last year. You were able to uh, get him. You were really persistent to talk to him and to get him to come to the conference. And that's so cool because I'm just amazed by what they're doing. And it seems like they're really getting close to something. And to me, it seems like they're really kind of the the most cutting edge and uh, most promising when it comes to uh astrobiology so really cool i'm happy that you were able to get him that that i think was really one of the biggest highlights of uh the congress uh in the last few years and what i really like about uh some of the research that those guys are doing is that they are up against this huge opposition and their work is constantly criticized um but you know what they keep at it and they keep coming back yeah. with more and more and more it's mm -hmm. just great that, yeah. uh, you know, they don't they don't get I mean, they probably do get frustrated as they should. It's mm -hmm. frustrating, but they don't let that stop them. Right. So 
the first story I want to talk about, <clears throat> even though I kind of slipped in that astrobiology one, that we, we wrote about both all of this, so people can go check those out. But this is really cool. You, I, I think you probably saw this uh, since you got back, but American University, Leslie Kane had put this on her Facebook that she was going to be speaking at American University, so I went and looked it up and uh, wrote about it, and this is really really cool so there is a professor there john weisskopf and uh he has a honors colloquium how do you say it quium colloquium 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 i think that's what it is i loved hearing that progression that was great <laughs> and it's called alien contact science and science fiction so he's not clear necessarily on his views of this, but I think the panel that he's bringing to uh, the university does show that. It's called UFOs Encounters by Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials. Uh, of course, very similar to Leslie Kane's book, UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. And American University, if people don't know, this is in D.C., and this is like a big deal. This is like where we're world leaders, and it's one of their things. They like to have world leaders on their campus, and they go there and talk. It was uh, this university was created uh, by a charter by the uh, an act of Congress. I mean, this this place is a big deal in D.C. when it comes to politics, and they are having a UFO panel in November. They're going to have Leslie Kane there. They're also going to have Charles Halt. Uh, of course, the Rendlesham Witness, the man who was the uh, deputy base commander during the Rendlesham event. They're going to have Tom Carey, who's uh, really Don Schmidt's research partner and, and an author and one of the leading experts on Roswell. And then they're going to have Dr. Richard Haynes, uh, who works with the National Aviation Reporting Center on Anomalous Phenomena, NARCAP, and he is a former NASA researcher. He was actually chief for Space Human Factors Office at NASA's Ames Research Center. So, and these are all pro-UFO people that are, and very, very credible people that are going to do this panel on UFOs in November. And it's going to be hosted by um, Miles O'Brien, who was a CNN anchor. Uh, he made some uh, news most recently where sadly he uh, had an accident and uh, his left arm was amputated from above the um, elbow down. But um, he had this amazing positive attitude about it and I think shocked the world. If you follow the news, you probably saw this where he was just had these really positive aspects. So he's going to be hosting and what's great about this is that he did some UFO reporting a few years ago. He did a whole week-long uh, different story each week. And he talked about his UFO sighting. So he's had a UFO sighting. He says he's a pilot. He knows what things should do. And he saw, like, you know, this bright thing flying across the sky. And then it took off at quick speed, a common um, sighting that people have. And so... Uh, really, really cool. I think this is important, and this is going to be a big deal. I mean, it just blew my mind that that this was going to be held at uh, American University. Yeah, that's very cool. I'm glad to see that they're doing this. I'm glad to see it's you know on on a platform like that. And more and more universities are addressing this topic and and having uh, guest speakers and uh, special lectures on the extraterrestrial topic. 
Um, mm-hmm. This one being in D.C., it's it's good to have it kind of on a national platform um, with a former CNN uh, anchor uh, as a moderator. I think that's cool. Um, so I, I hope that uh, this generates some attention and uh, hope the university actually appreciates it and continues to have events like this. And I think it's so cool that Leslie, um, I mean, I love the way Leslie approaches this field. I think it's important. I think it's, it's what, quite frankly, I think it's what MUFON should be doing uh, because they say they, you know, their mission is the scientific study of the field. And I think people hesitate, you know, because um, the kind of th- stuff she does isn't always the main focus of what we would call you the UFO enthusiast or something like that. But she is demonstrating because she gets more attention and serious attention than anybody. Her book is a New York Times bestseller. She has gotten positive comments from uh, Michio Kaku, other uh, big astronomers. And uh, what she's doing is getting the big time attention that, you know, um, is needed. So I really got to say it's wonderful uh, that she does what she does and, and hats off to her. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. So speaking of MUFON, a couple other things. Ooh, we could talk about another thing that I disagree with MUFON with. And I want to get your idea real quick. Just that MUFON uh, put out their UFO alert, and they changed their system, luckily, thankfully, because uh, it wasn't as accurate. I, I don't think they – now they do it by population, which is much more accurate. So you can see that on our website. Um, they posted a new story with these multiple UFOs showing up in uh, Georgia, but it – Kind of a cheesy picture. I'm not a big fan of, of this case. But uh, the Colorado-Utah case that you wrote about, Jason, of course, is a really awesome case. That's incredible. And it's kind of cool because uh, Roger did post a story, Roger March from MUFON, on a bunch of cases in Colorado and Utah of similar sightings. Um, their researchers are yeah. saying they're mostly Google loon balloons, which I completely disagree with i think that's that's kind of silly to even be saying that quite honestly but uh i do agree that most of what they're they're spotting here is most likely balloons however uh i know that uh, at least one move on investigator tried to get a hold of nine news and tell them that and nine news ignored them which i would have done also because you have to have some evidence and what the reporter reported doesn't sound like a balloon because he says it sat there for 15 minutes before a bright flash and then this thing speeding off at great speed. Uh, you know, these other cases may be a balloon, probably are balloons, but his, you got to explain that. You got to explain how a balloon would do that. And you got to prove that these are loon balloons. They could be any balloons. Why are they saying loon balloons? I don't get that. Well, that's because it's trendy now, you know? Yeah. It's, they've, they've come forward and claimed responsibility for UFO sightings in the past, um, and now they're more public with with um, their existence and what they are mm-hmm. and where they launch from and things like that. So, yeah, it's going to become kind of a trendy thing like Chinese lanterns. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, really uh, kind of sloppy. You can't just – choose some facts to to pay attention to and ignore others i mean the yeah again we say this with with all sightings it comes down to 
how much you want to believe the witness testimony or not. Um, If we are to believe the newscaster who went out and recorded these things for 15 minutes, saw them hovering, and then shoot off at incredible speeds, that's not a balloon. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And he didn't get a video of that, so we have to rely on his testimony. So, uh, which, which of course, uh, can be difficult. But you can't, you definitely can't go tell this reporter, "Hey, we think that you were totally wrong and you didn't see what you see, and you should report on this." Uh, yeah, right. Okay, I'm gonna write a story about how. Oh, it was a balloon, and I was completely fooled. Uh, I didn't see this thing shoot off. I mean, that doesn't make sense. The other problem I have is I know part of the reason they're calling it a Google balloon is because uh, in September, I think it was, yeah, September, there was a couple sightings that they did find were Google balloons, but they were able to go to this flight, flight radar 24 thing that tracks the Google balloons, and they were able to show that the Google balloons were there because they saw the uh, signature, the transponder signal. Um so in these cases, if you're going to call them Google balloons, which is even possible maybe one or two were, you have to go get that data. Otherwise, all you can say is <clears throat> it's most likely an unidentified balloon, um, but you can't say Google balloon, for God's sakes. And then uh, when it comes to the to the Nine News reporter sighting, I think uh, you got to look for some other explanation there. I agree. I mean, the responsible thing to do is say, look, based on the appearance, things like that, in many other cases, these turn out to be balloons because that's what the behavior and the appearance uh, would lead us to believe. But this one little nugget, this important nugget hanging out there is the fact that uh, the eyewitnesses saw these things shooting off. You can't ignore that. Yep. I agree. So some more work needs to be put in on this one, I think. So any any other news or anything you wanted to talk about before we move on to the uh, interview there, Jason? No, I don't think there's anything else I need to talk about except uh, thank you for calling me super and wonderful or whatever you called me today. I really appreciate that. I called that. you wonderful and super, Jason. Yeah, Wonderful so that's good. and super. Yep, if I didn't feel like a superhero at Comic-Con, I sure do now. Good, good. All right, so without further ado, let us... Listen to uh, our, the interview with uh, Nancy Burns. I am so excited to have on the show Nancy Burns, uh, who who feels like she isn't as relevant to this field, which I think is, is silly, because you were the editor for UFO Magazine for so long. Right, but I'm not the original editor by any stretch. But I, how, how long did you edit uh, for uh, UFO Magazine? Ten years. Wow, that is a long time. Yeah, yeah. You know, because with with our magazine, uh, a lot of the people who worked here weren't in the field before we started. But by editing and being involved with a magazine, you learn so much. You have to read so many stories. Yes, you do. And you you have to make decisions. That's, I think, the only thing you bring to the table is your taste Mm -hmm. and your, um, your... in my case, I try to make sure that it's the truth, if at all possible, because our field is fraught with uh, con artists, you mm-hmm. know, and hoaxers and people who are troubled, uh, yeah. who are out and out to, uh, you know, government plants. Yeah. And then I think we have a nice, healthy uh, group of real solid citizens who are honest and true. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what 
but I wanted to publish the magazine for that healthy group in the middle. Yeah. That, you know, you know. But, you know, I the thing is I came into the magazine under the auspices of the Eckers, Don and Vicky Ecker. Mm-hmm. And that colored everything about my entrance in the field. It just completely you know, I was under the I was under the guidance of two people who had worked really hard to make a magazine, um, you know, um, which they've done. You know, that's a huge legacy. Mm-hmm. Were they the ones who started the magazine? Just Vicky. Okay. Just Vicky. Yeah, because um, Vicky, her friend Sherry Stark started it in, I believe, 1986. I believe I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and. Um, you know, by the time uh, Bill and I came into their lives, um, because of the Corso book, they had gotten to the point where they were just sick of it. They were done. Mm. They had just basically had their fourth or fifth burnout. And so um, we came in and, you know, the rest is history. So there's yeah. there's that. But, yeah. But it, and it's very rocky, um, and and that's why I wanted to ask you the question: How did you uh, get hired? In other words, how did Open Minds come about? <laughs> it's not. I know I'm not supposed to do that, but you oh you're already doing this. I was expecting that, and <laughs> yeah. I got to answer because I I you know just just it, really it, yeah you can nice. do it. So yeah. it started with really um, you know my boss John Rayo. Uh, he uh, had made himself uh, a lot of money. And uh, he makes a lot of money with his other businesses, and he just wanted something to do. I mean, he's kind of in a semi-retired mode and and gets bored with the regular day-to-day. Uh, he Actually, this is interesting. He went to Las Vegas with his wife. She was going to a conference. Mm-hmm. He was bored. He wandered down the street and saw there was a, a UFO crash conference going on. This is the one nice. that the... Uh, Bill probably spoke there at some point, but that the was... The Woods, perhaps. Yeah, the Woods yeah. Conference. He thought it sounded ridiculous, but he would pop in there. And uh, not a lot of people knew about this conference, because really, the Woods weren't the best at networking and getting the word well, out. not only that, Alejandro, I have to tell you, before you guys came into the business, mm-hmm. the conference... Um, the conference business was petering out into... True, I would agree. Oh, my goodness, you have no idea. I, I just wrote a piece about all this because I'm starting to try to come out of the shadows of oh, this cool. thing and try to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Because, you know, um, the fellow that we licensed the magazine from pulled the license um, this past, let's say, this year. Mm-hmm. And we basically have found ourselves, um, you know, the magazine had to. And it's a very, again, it's a rocky road and, and the rocky road ends in a kind of a crash at the end. Um, so, and I wanted to ask about ooh. this because, and, and uh, you know, we'll finish off even though we're going into a tangent, but I think this is important. Mm-hmm. So you all, at some point, did you and Bill own the magazine? No, we never owned it. Okay. Um, see, uh, the, the, how can I put this? You know, you, you don't probably handle the financial part of the magazine. You only do the editorial, I would bet, right? For the most part, that is true. I mean, I'm aware of the financial part, and uh, uh, but you're you're correct. Yeah. So you're aware that it's expensive to make a print right. publication, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the only real thing you need to be aware of, and um, it's expensive, and you can make uh, crucial mistakes. We at various times uh, we were monthly, 
which is really killer. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's it's many it's twenty or so thousand dollars a month just to get the thing off the on the press, off the press, into the mail trucks, so forth and so on. So it's a very expensive operation. And everything has to be kind of working in coordination. Your subscriptions have to be coming in. Your advertising has to be coming in, that sort of thing. So it's a financial, um, it's a financial thing that you have to learn how to do. And when we, so basically, what happened was the Eckers had fallen apart on the financial part by the mm-hmm. time they met Bill in '97. Their finances were crashed. Um, it happens all the time in the magazine business. It's mm-hmm. no no fault of the Eckers, but it's hard. And, and so another thing that happens uh, back in the day, the distribution of a magazine um, is the rougher part of the of the uh, equation. That's where truckers and unions and burly guys who who call you up and will make you mm-hmm. a deal. And so the the Eckers made a deal for mm-hmm. you know something if you if you print an extra 30,000 we'll put your magazine right up front in the stores. D- a deal like that. And yeah. um unknown to the Eckers, they had involved, you know, they had their own house mortgage involved in this deal. Oh so, no. Yeah, so it was a crisis when they met Bill. Um, and they met Bill only to interview him for the day after Roswell mm. in 1997. And so Bill is a kind of person who can put things together. He can, he's, 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 he knows, you know, he knew the people who were involved with the day after Roswell book. They were a, a movie company. Um, mm. And he, you know, he brought the idea to them that you know, maybe they would want to buy a magazine. And that's what happened. They bought the magazine. Wow. And they retained ownership of it, uh, and at a certain point after a few years, they wanted to sell the magazine. Uh, they they wanted to sell it, I think, from the from the beginning, but they sold it to to Bill, or they sold it to a group of five of us, including me and Bill, uh, and the Eckers, and one other fellow, for a dollar. Um, wow! They simply wanted. They wanted out of them of the UFO business, partly because they were doing a lot of work with Christian groups. Uh, this is a mm. this is a this is a motion picture licensing corporation, and they license. They used to license movies to Girl Scout troops and church groups, um, and so they wanted away from the UFO magazine name. And in fact, um, you know that's probably a smart thing because, as you know, the UFO field dips into every other field it doesn't mm-hmm. stay the ufo field it's st- it, it dips into new age and it dips into uh demonology um it dips into conspiracy and so if you're a purely christian kind of situation you're not going to want to go go into those places so mm-hmm. they they want it they want it rid of the magazine so i'm i'm answering your questions and I, I never get a chance to talk about this and so i'm thrilled to be able to answer in a long way yeah, well, that's what's great because I don't think people know this, and I think people are extremely curious. Well, I know they are because yeah. you know because we had a magazine. People would always ask us about UFO magazine, and and we didn't know details. Uh, yeah. But you know, um, we subscribed here at the office, and uh, some of us as individuals were subscribers, and so we kind well, of knew when there we was would get them. We ended up fighting all the time. There was endless fighting behind the scenes. It wasn't a good match. Mm-hmm. Um, the Eckers are independent. The Burnses are independent. Yeah. We clashed. We didn't. Uh, and then here's the big thing. And this is the legacy that I'm now 
um, having having fun with. The Eckers had uh, created their friends and their enemies lists, their friends mm-hmm. list, their enemies list. And I, coming in, felt that I had, out of loyalty, I had to kind of abide by those two lists. Oh, you know, I and see. I didn't know anybody in the field, zero. And so I just simply, you know, it's it, it wasn't written down, but every editorial meeting, uh, they would definitely, you know, let us know who they liked and who they didn't like. Yeah. And I now am... Like in the case of yourself, I'm only now making friends with people after the magazine kind of blew apart this year and Mm -hmm. we lost our license. Um, I'm now making friends with people that I felt that I shouldn't have been friends with before, just Mm -hmm. out of loyalty. Loyalty is a huge thing uh, for both Bill and myself. We really, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll we'll stand there and be loyal till the last uh, person leaves the room, basically. Even though it's not necessary, but that's, but because of that, um, so so there's that. I I had to honor, uh, you know, like Don Ecker would get gets into a lot of fights with people, and I felt yeah. that yeah, you know. like it happens so much in this field, and it's so hard to remain friends. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm embroiled in a, in a debate with Stan Friedman right now, but we stay friendly. Um, yeah. I don't think oh. I have any enemies. The closest would be maybe Michael Horn because, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm at my wit's end with that guy. And, and he's just been so blatantly deceitful with some things that uh, he's – but I don't know that I'd call him an enemy so much. But, well, here, uh, here's the thing. When you started but out – But I'm done with the guy. <laughs> I understand that. And, and if you have uh, – if you bring on an editorial assistant – you would like that assistant to not start up Michael Horn again saying, we should investigate this. I don't agree yeah, with you. Yeah. Well, so when you came into the field, when you started – See, but I don't mind next, so much. What? Like you don't it, mind? You know, if if I brought on someone who, who wanted to go do that, I would say go for it. Uh-huh. I would well, just say that there <laughs> there will be some boundaries because, uh, um, for instance, you know, this week, you know, they'll they'll focus. Him and his guys will focus, and they'll come out and try to blitz you with stuff, right. and and the, use these bully tactics that I'm just not gonna fall prey to. I'm just not gonna let that happen. Right. And uh, so I'd have to tell that person, well, just so you know, yes, you know, we're gonna limit that conversation. But you write whatever you want, you know. Um, yeah. Because I don't like to push my view. You know, we try to. Be real well, well, that's what I wanted to ask you when you mm-hmm. first started. Did anybody give you a list of friends and enemies? Mm-mm. No. When okay, I and, came, though, yeah. I was uh, there were there were three ufologists essentially, people who had been in this field for a long time, um, who uh, and I don't know. I I think out of the three, I probably had the strongest personality. You're familiar with the other two, uh, Maurizio Bayada, who. Oh. Goodness. Uh, oh goodness. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Who certainly has his own opinions and stuff. No, 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 no. Way worse. Way worse. Um, I don't know what your <laughs> friends. Well, are you friends with him? I would say that I. Well, here's and you know I don't know if people, not many people really know the whole background, but the difficulty came. He he doesn't speak English very good. Right. Um. He and at least uh, my views were very different. Um, and, you know, I didn't, certainly didn't agree with his conspiracy theories with his enemies. 
You know, wow, he created does he have conspiracy theories. Oh yeah, I'm sure that's where you're gonna go. But yeah. Uh, oh yeah, anybody no, 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 who's his, who's no, his just... enemy has to, you know, be in with the government or something like that. I, I okay. liked him as a person and stuff, but uh, what happened was, you know, he uh, just couldn't start up the magazine, which was his job. So um, he and so he had to move on. And the job was his only ticket to stay in the country, so he had to go home. I didn't uh, know that. You yeah. Know. So yeah, the other I, person, just so you're aware, uh, was Antonio Huneas, who uh, I don't. Yeah. Okay. Don't he's know amazing. His mind is like an encyclopedia in this field. He's been a journalist in this field for a long time. He and I, because uh, he was much more journalistic, were more aligned, and uh, he was absolutely amazing. So he was the other guy there. Uh, but he doesn't really have much in the way of enemies either. Uh, so you always get people who kind of get wary of you or just disappointed maybe in the way you've covered something. Uh, right. And he had that, but no real enemies. So that was kind of the scene. And I'm kind of bold enough where it's been my thing since the get-go. I mean, I was the MUFON spokesperson before I came here. That's ah. what, exactly what I was doing. So, of course, MUFON has a lot of enemies and people disappointed with them so uh i learned how to be very diplomatic so i've always right. been really diplomatic and, and uh, allow people to share their views uh i like to share the facts not call out hoaxers but you know the facts speak for themselves uh yes. in many yes. cases so a lot of hoaxers feel i'm calling them out when i'm just sharing the facts and the facts don't play well for right. them right but um Right. So that was the kind of landscape there. Well, I so. didn't know that Maurizio was involved at all. I kind of, I think yeah. I might have forgotten that because it was early on. So he was gone before things got rolling because he he was supposed to be the guy to get stuff rolling, and he he really couldn't. So uh, well, here's well, okay. So let me fill you in on our relationship with Maurizio, and and mm-hmm. this you'll be fascinated. I think I know some of the history, and I'm fascinated with at least the side of things that I do know. Right. Well, you know, the the thing is that if um, another thing about coming into this UFO field is um, if you're lucky enough to have a successful book or a successful TV show or a successful magazine or anything successful, you'll suddenly get um, your share of um, uh, wolves, wolves in sheep's clothing, people who mm-hmm. come at you saying, oh, I yeah. want to be your friend. What can, you know, I love this story. I want to interview you or whatever. And so, um, when, and, and, and before there was UFO magazine, there was the day after Roswell and, and, um, mm-hmm. and I'm Bill's wife, I'm Bill Burns's wife. And so let's see here, people saw a, a gold mine in in uh, in that book mm-hmm. and and for people who aren't aware because that's what's interesting about this field there's people coming into this field yeah, all I love of the that. time and yeah. so you got to update them on the history and of course some people don't know yeah you all wrote the book on uh our bill uh helped with corso writing the book about philip corso and his involvement with uh, extraterrestrials and ets from the pentagon and it was a new york times bestseller Right, it was on the front page of the New York Times uh, around uh, the Fourth of July when um, we timed the book. We actually had to hustle that book into production really quickly. And back in the day, there was always nine months. It was always like a baby. Your book took nine months from 
you know, finished to hand, you know, physical book. And so we really, really worked hard to do that. And there was no index, uh, partly because of the rush. And, and then because we've, you know, Bill and I have been book packagers since book packagers are, are a term for book producing. We are agents and illustrators and we do all kinds of book stuff since, uh, I think 81 when we started our company, 1981, Shadow Lawn Press. And so as packagers, um, we knew things like there's a 50th anniversary coming up. It'd be really nice to, you know, have the book ready. We knew that would be important. Mm-hmm. And so we entered the field, you know, and again, we entered the field. We, uh, oh, Lordy, th- there is more behind it. There's, there's, the uninteresting stuff is that I'm a novelist and I was working on a novel about the UFO phenomenon. Mm. Um, that's kind of how Bill got interested because I was sharing my research with him. And this is before the Internet. Um, and this is when we came uh, uh, west. We, we came west to uh, – we, we, in 1990, I believe. We moved to California for 20 years, almost 20 years. And um, I was at that time in 1990 writing a book um, about – uh, UFOs and stuff because I was born in 1947 and felt oh, wow. like you know I felt I could use the um, the idea of being switched at birth and then I was going to make a fictional thing and so forth and so on and um, so I have the kind of interest just because of my birth year and because yeah, you look at what year were you born 73 which was another big UFO year actually was it yeah well see also everything that happens in 73 just kind of feels kind of friendly to you to yourself mm-hmm. right it's yeah. kind of like your year your mom might have saved the the front page when you were born and stuff and um so you know so 1947 resonates with me because it's just you know i came here and um so i think i've gone off I've gone. I've skidded in onto a, a cul-de-sac. But anyway, so so cor- the Corso book comes along. We do the Corso book, and our lives are forever changed because now we are. For example, when we went to Roswell to do the, um, you know, to introduce the book, um, that's the first time we met Stanton, and he was in the back of the room, angrier than a than a you know than a pile of bees <laughs> because he had gotten i'm sure he'd gotten the galleys kevin randall was there he was he's a big handsome man i think you know <laughs> you know bill and i are both short and kevin is a good looking guy and he he had his arms folded the whole time i was talking to him and he had i you know he had a cowboy hat on i, believe, I can and, see it yeah and he just these guys were the leaders in the field they are the leaders in the field they were not mm-hmm. having any of this and bill's kind of you know, Corso's a, a little guy. He's a weird little guy. He comes out of nowhere. Um, and and he came with his whole family to the Roswell 50th thing and all that. And, and and so, you know, I'd like to tell these stories. And I'm thinking of, you know, I'm kind of putting this stuff together now. And I, I'm just kind of scanning stuff in. And, you know, and that's the other thing, Alejandro. Um, you also were born before the Internet kind of happened Mm -hmm. and so all of your baby pictures have to be scanned if you want your grandkids to see them on the internet yeah um and so i'm scanning stuff i'm I'm literally living in front of the scanner uh, (laughs) scanning stuff in so um but anyway so you had a question in there somewhere and i think i lost we all lost our threads no it was kind of the the inception of ufo magazine and and actually you were going to 
you were talking about how you know you had lists and how this came all this came about and how you inspired the ire of so many people which yeah. i can see especially yeah. with these guys because um you know uh, it's kind of a a you know this field uh largely was led by uh, and a lot of the old timers are grumpy old men and uh <laughs> i think you've really got a kind of and you know and i think you'd probably admit since you're you're a bold and open person I think you won't you won't uh, take offense if I say Bill Burns can kind of be one of those grumpy old men. Well, no, I think just the opposite. He came in as a young, uh, crazy guy, like a like a New York. Jew, oh, but these, you know, well, and maybe it's just because he gets he's gotten embroiled and 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 battles and and started some here and there. Well, here's the thing: the the Corso book frankly is full of inaccuracies, and there was never. Here's the big thing: I think. Ah. You know, it's full of inaccuracies because uh, it's kind of hard to explain. It happened. We we had to do it quickly. Corso has a firm, uh, solid core story that we did as much research as we could uh, in the short period of time we had. And Corso had done a lifetime of research. And so that that sort of uh, but, but Corso had never experienced New York publishing big time. This is Simon and Schuster. This mm. is. Uh, and it was a New York Times bestseller for 14 weeks. That means every single t- week, uh, you know, that they keep records of, of uh, number one to number 15, I believe. They they mm-hmm. go beyond the, the top 10. So this is in the nonfiction list. Uh, this is way before Amazon, New York Times. And it went it was on there for 15 weeks, 14 weeks. Um, it, it stayed above number 15. And so. That's phenomenal. Yeah. And except for Whitley Strieber, I don't know of too many other people who have been, you know, front page and all that. And so um, so even Corso didn't really expect, you know, that NBC would be following him around in Roswell, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And so in the course of that weekend in 1997, we became mortal enemies forever with Linda Moulton Howe. And Paula Harris. That's ne- that. That's never gone away since that weekend, because we, Bill, uh, Bill and I, particularly, you know, behind the scenes, set up uh, ex- kind of exclusive interviews with, uh, so that Linda Moulton Howe could could have Corso on Coast, as she would be the she'd be the one kind of bringing him to the Coast audience. It was mm-hmm. sort of like a favor to Linda. Um, Art Bell wanted Corso on, obviously. Uh, everybody wanted Corso. Mm-hmm. And we let Linda be the conduit. And we did that. Uh, we had to do that with Corso's son being very angry about this. He he despised Linda Moulton Howe because she mm-hmm. kind of came in like a journalist does with her notebooks and her, her tabbed uh, dividers in her notebooks. And she had a lot of questions and she had, you know, an agenda. She wanted to be the one who was kind of interviewing Corso for Art Bell on Art Bell. Mm-hmm. And I won't tell today, right now because already I'm in difficult territory. I won't tell the horrible stuff that happened to everybody while that interview was going on and what, what, what we all had to do to make that interview happen. But mm-hmm. once Linda got the interview, she basically never spoke to us again. It was sort of wow. like, you don't exist in, in my book. And in fact, she hardly spoke to us 
that that weekend once we cleared the way and, and set it up. So I feel very hurt by that. And, yeah. uh, you know, and Paula Harris was the same way. Paula Harris um, speaks Italian, obviously. Corso is Italian. And they kind of they kind of hit it off because Corso was a great old guy who missed mm-hmm. his wife, who was a redhead. Paula Harris has reddish hair. And they just hit it off and went toddling off. And and she it, was able to take him to Italy. Uh, well, with he Maurizio. has fond memories because he was essentially right in charge of Rome once we liberated right, right, exactly. Rome. Exactly. So he had a history there. Right, right. Yeah, good was... friends with Maurizio. Maurizio and Paula obviously see things very yeah, but see, the thing similarly. Is we... Yeah, but we're in a we were in a huge lawsuit that we won because mm-hmm. they stole everything. They basically tried to steal everything and and take it to uh, print, you know, publish it in Italy. And you know, in other words, there are rules that you have to abide by if you're in the big publishing world. You you really can't, you know, take somebody's copyright. It's not considered kosher. You just don't do that in this in this country. And Maurizio just said. You know, basically, I'm going to do the, the. In other words, he had Simon and Schuster on his. Uh, he lost, obviously. Um, there was. I don't think there was a settlement, a financial settlement, but. So he again, was going to try to print the book. He did. In, he did. He did. He in don't. Italian. Yeah, he, they did. Mm. They all did. They took it away. They called it something else, so forth and so on. And 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 then, if you were to see all of Corso's original stuff, the stuff they did publish. You'll see what a packager or what a co-writer or what a ghostwriter or what a writing partner will do if that writing partner is professional. And you'll see that it's a smooth narrative. It's at least hangs together intellectually from the first page to the last page. And mm-hmm. Corso's books that he published or they published wouldn't be like that. They'll just be a pile of notes. You'll, you'll see mm-hmm. the difference. Um so yeah, anyway, so, I've got so, a copy yeah. of those original Corso notes. Uh, oh, good. I don't even so, remember how, but uh, so um, yeah, yeah, and that's a couple thing, of so. questions. So, uh, and and I can see, and I think that's one of the problems, especially with the old timers, getting extremely territorial. Right. That's the, the word. other thing they do is they're territorial over the um, phenomena in general, and these that's are right. two things that I decided. I'm not going to do this because all that gives is heartache and pain. And these are things you can't control anyway. So whenever anything UFO comes that they feel is really uh, controversial or sheds a bad light on the UFO field, they get all ruffled feathers. And it's like you can't control this field. I mean, it is what it is. All you can do is cover it, share your opinion, share your research. But you can't control those sort of things. So... Yeah, a lot of people get so upset. But uh, you did say that there were a lot of inaccuracies in the book. But why did that happen? Was it because Corso, Corso's memory, he couldn't remember the details? Is that what well, you were getting I at? I think he was only interested in kind of one thing for that particular book, and that was mm-hmm. the technology. Uh-huh. Uh, what he specifically had hands-on um, experience with was a bunch of stuff that he didn't understand, that he mm-hmm. was tasked with uh seeding into industry and he didn't care at all about the roswell crash all he knew was he had stuff mm-hmm. in his hands that trudeau said do something with now a thing i've found out about corso over over my own experience of going through his stuff um is that 
he, I think, was a bit of an exaggerator. Was a bit of an exaggerator. I was going to say is mm-hmm. he, he he exaggerated. I think exaggerated his own importance. I think yeah. the stuff probably existed, and Trudeau probably uh, told him to seed industry, which is you know. But at the same time, I don't think Trudeau patted him on the head as many times as he said, you know, you. Um, uh, you know, you're you're my man, and in other words, Corso inflated. It, it's it's his his right. Everybody mm-hmm. else is dead, and 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 Corso was in army intelligence, and and that should be um, a signal to everybody that what he helped release with this book was done in um, complete uh, whatever. He didn't he didn't break any oaths. He's not a whistleblower. He was allowed to get this information out because mm. the Pentagon fully supported this book. Um, uh, Strom Thurmond knew about all this and knew about it when the book was coming out. He was relatively old uh, and senile, but um, he did give a forward. Uh, he knew it was for a UFO or this stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think. I think the stuff stopped being UFO stuff so early in. It became stuff from. It, it was um, not manufactured here. I think is what they, uh, not made here. I think they they had a, they had terms for the stuff, and so, so when it comes to let's say not caring about the Roswell story at all, except his little experience with it, he he said that he the the bodies kind of passed his his. Um, in other words, how can I put this? Uh, for say Kevin Randall and for Stanton Freeman, the Roswell story is important, mm-hmm. and these inaccuracies, the inaccuracies, inaccuracies that came in, were they were a result of Bill and Corso and um, Simon Schuster's lawyers, everybody trying to put this story together cleanly. And of course, you're going to make mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to make mistakes about how many, all the the anyway. So so. When when Corso was pro, uh, premiering this book in Roswell, people were coming up to him one after the other, and he was comparing notes. And he was comparing notes with people in ways that would shock you. Like he and Whitley had a lot more to talk about than people would have thought. Huh. Um, uh, Phil Corso's son, Phil Jr., and Whitley really hit it off. Um, and And I think there's more to the story that may never come out. Um, because I don't know whether you've ever kept track of whatever happened to Phil Corso Jr. Um, at, at various times, uh, seeing this money thing happening, seeing this potential mm-hmm. gold mine, um, he began to look around to see who he could sell the story to. Everybody, everybody had the wrong idea about how you sell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, Phil Corso had had given his life rights over to the movie company, and they. Were Guard those with a passion, and Phil sort of thought, "Well, I don't care. I don't want them to have it anymore. I'm going to give my life story rights to John Alexander. I'm going mm. to give my life story rights to Steven Seagal." And he did. He wow. he did all these things. And so, you know, my husband Bill uh, eventually became a lawyer, um, an attorney. Uh, he's a he's got a he's got the degree, but not the I didn't didn't do the bar, uh, or he didn't do the bar in California. And so when he takes the bar, then he's a, an attorney, I think. But he's – I don't know how it goes. But um, so so there was – there was 
if this book had not been made any money, if it hadn't sold many copies, none of this would have happened. Nobody would have cared. Nobody would have bothered mm-hmm. little For- Phil Corso. There wouldn't have been any Art Bell show and stuff. And so, you know, that's what it is. But these, the so lifetime enemies, one could say, um, yeah. So anyway, so so well, yeah. hopefully, I mean. <laughs> I think that people have loosened up a bit uh, in that if they disagree, they still become – like I, I think of like, uh, you know, Ruben Uriarte with the Mexico Roswell who uh, I don't think Stanton really cares for the story. And I know Kevin Randall, you know, despises it, but um, they're still friends. So at least uh, I think that that's, people have loosened up, especially over the years. Yeah, I agree. When we see each other at conferences all year long, it's like you got to start interacting. And they're all good people, so it comes well, down that's to... that's where I was... Yeah, I was going to I was gonna add that. Because if, let's say, Kevin Randall or Stanton Freeman believes that um, you're doing your research and maybe you're getting blinded by your research, but you really are honest and true and you're really trying, then, of course, everybody can agree to disagree or this or that. But if... If you're coming into this field as an out-and-out uh, scam artist, well then, and that's of course what they thought was going on with the Corso story. But over the years, they, I think, understand that Bill is not a scam artist. He tr- mm-hmm. he tried very hard to get it accurate. He never had a chance to do a revised edition. Um, I'm telling you, the, that whole Corso uh, circus went off with other people pretty early in, um, uh, uh, and each person, uh, you know, so. So, it, so at core, I think it's an important story, um, and at core, I how think did, so is Ro, uh, Rubens. How did you all meet Corso? So, how did you get the story? Because I mean, the way from an outsider, my perspective is, Bill got there first for whatever no, reason. No, not at all. Not at he all. He became, a, 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 yeah, he became friends with Corso, and Corso decided to let him do it. No, which no, is, no. All is fair. That's that's. No. But, I mean, my point was I didn't believe it in a conspiracy or anything. Bill was the one who got to do the story, so so be it. And it looked like, at least to me, seeing interviews, it was the book was as accurate as it could be. And uh, I didn't see any, uh, because, of course, there's speculation of, oh, Bill was the guy in there trying to cover up for the government and change things. And, Lord. and keep Lord. the real story from coming out, which I think is kind of silly. But um, well, what would be the real story? Do you think? Well, th- that's the whole problem with the theory is it doesn't make any sense because you still have this man with an incredible background coming out and saying these extraordinary things, right. and that's really what you have to contend well, with. And I think it was well, all of those things that I question about Corso. Uh, I'm just going to blame those on Bill Burns. I think well, a lot sure. of that started I love happening. that. I love that. That's mm-hmm. that's easy. And here's the cool thing. Uh, Bill came into this, not again, nothing to do with UFOs. Corso has multiple stories and uh, at least three important stories. But one of them, I'd say. Beyond UFOs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, 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 yeah one of them stuff. is. Uh, POW, prisoners of war, mm. and that's how Bill got involved. Because uh, before oh. the Corso book, Bill had to, uh, Bill has been a co-writer with lots of different people, mm. and one of the and and in in every other case, ex- well, not every other case, but in many of the cases, he has become lifetime friends with the people he co-writes books with. Bill's the kind of person that 
most of the people from our business have been friends with us for 30 or so years now, year in, year out. We do more books. We do this. And one of those that, that situation is a fellow named Jim Sanders, James Sanders. And James Sanders got himself yanked into the uh, TWA 800, the shooting down of TWA 800. Hmm. He got yanked into that story because his wife uh, was – as a stewardess or a flight attendant, she was actually a trainer of flight attendants. And when the thing went down, uh, one of her pals got to her this uh, little sample from the back seats that proved that a missile went through the plane. It left a missile trail of missile debris. Mm. And so she ended up with this. In, in other words, his wife, um, you know, had evidence so forth and so on. And so so Bill wrote that book with um, Jim Sanders, the, the shooting down, the Flight 800 book. And um, But Sanders' true love, among other things, was the POW story. And um, that's how Corso came into our lives because they were all doing – this movie company was doing – um, they they had the movie company had bought Jim Sanders information. You know they they were going to do something with him, and they had Phil Corso's life rights because Phil Corso was one of the important whistleblowers that telling the world that we consistently left prisoners of war behind. Um, sometimes we use them as Manchurian exchange types. You know, um, it's a it's a it's a nasty part of our history but it's a true part of our history and Corso mm. testified to this etc so Bill was writing that book the book with Corso about the prisoners of war and stuff and Corso mentioned this is 96 95-96 Corso mentioned to Bill when they were he was, they were doing all the interviews for the POW stuff um, uh, yeah and I and I took care of all that junk from Roswell uh, yeah <laughs> and it was like what <laughs> You know, and I'm born in 94, 97, and I'm, it, you know, so Roswell 90, uh, 47 is um, it's part of our little household history, our household stuff. So Bill knew immediately um, that that was critical and important. Wow. So we convinced the movie company to, to, to put aside the POW stuff for now and put aside the Rome stuff. And then Corso also had a lot to do with the Kennedy assassination. Uh, put aside all that stuff. Corso was amazing character, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're all true stories. And so, therefore, why wouldn't the Roswell story be true? I mean, why would this man suddenly, with the stellar, he's a very right wing guy, uh, always saw the CIA in bed with the communists. He was mm-hmm. an FBI kind of guy, in spite of you know he loved Hoover. Those were some of the fascinating parts of the book. Yeah. Uh, when he's talking about espionage and and the whole yeah. thing is how they all fight each other and all this this espionage against each other and counterintelligence against the Navy and yeah. the Air Force and and you can't trust the CIA if they get it you know the Soviets have it so and you see it now you see it's mm-hmm. all kind of each yeah. each and, and and when they did Homeland Security to kind of bring all this together they just basically made yeah. another silo and they're all going to be. Uh, shooting at each other, basically. They're all trying it's to funny. keep the secrets. Yeah, I'm a yeah. real news hound, and that book, you know, is one of the books I feel that had the, some of the best insight into how all of that works. Well, that's Bill's specialty. Bill is really good at putting, you know, he's he he can he can retain from his let's say his PhD. He can retain uh, medieval history. He, he's mm-hmm. a medieval his. PhD is in linguistics in medieval medieval England, um, and so he can give you the history of law, 
and 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 tie that to how the government is breaking the law. You know, and he can tie, he, and so he brings that. To, that's what he brought to the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and why did we go off on the Corso thing? But anyway, so why would Corso lie about one little thing that meant nothing to him? Mm-hmm. The POWs meant a lot to him, um, and so did the Kennedy assassination mean a lot to yeah. him. And this, and then of course, as you all know, we, I, I, we all, we thought we were, there was going to be no end of the lawsuits coming from industry. But there were never, there was never a peep. It's just sort of like, yeah, okay, now the world knows how some of this stuff happened. And I, to this day, huh. uh, wish I knew for sure if it was, if if it's true, because um, I'm not still, con- I'm still not convinced. I'm I'm going to be more skeptical than everybody else probably. But hmm. you know, oh, and and so I, you're yeah. still skeptical, unsure, of course, of the story yourself. I'm unsure of it all. I'm unsure of the whole UFO thing, to be honest. You know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I, I feel for you because i have a hard time landing on any one answer on anything this whole thing is so enigmatic but so terribly interesting corso is a great example of how i feel about this field such an amazing story yeah um and people will say well why would he do this and why would he do that i don't know yeah. But just because I can't figure it out doesn't mean that it, it's all totally Right, he was true. never writing that book. He was writing the book. He was always going to, going to make himself seem important. So, yes, he was in Rome. Was he the leader of Rome? Was he really pulling, um, you know, swords out of his uh, – he had, he had special uh, – he, you know, uh, mafia knives or not mafia, Sicilian knives and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a, he, he was a short guy um, who liked to, you know – puff himself up but he was also hilarious and as and i think he was a a relatively honest person um but within the intelligence community like yeah you know honest to what he (laughs) yeah he told me once that the way that you become a good spy or a good you know citizen in the in this government is that when somebody tells you something and says, I don't want you to tell anybody, you you have a way of listening. And I, I, I kind of learned this, I think. You have a way of mm-hmm. listening and not really putting it in long-term memory. It's, you kind of forget it. It's like mm-hmm. you're never going to tell anybody. You've, you've said you're not going to tell anybody. And so um, he said that's how that's how it is. And, and So maybe I'm not a scatterbrain. I'm actually a great spy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I did want to – because, no, this – this is all so fascinating that, but uh, and it does play into how you guys got into the field and how you came to get UFO magazine. But just to kind of finish up on that, it sounds like then, uh, so the guys uh, who, the gentleman who, well, did he buy the five of you out then? Did this one guy buy you guys out and become the sole owner? Well, no, he always retained the license. Oh, okay. He he sold us – he didn't sell us the magazine for a dollar. He sold us the license for a dollar. Oh. And that he could pull any time he wanted. Um, And he did. And why did he do that? Did he pull the license – uh, because he got in a dispute with you all or no, because he no. wanted to sell the magazine? I think the latter, and I also think because he's of a certain age, he's kind of retiring. He loves to be in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. He's not a hidden man. People thought this was a big mystery. Um, he's a successful man. His name is Peter Kuyper, and he's K-U-Y-P-E-R, and um, like, the, like the liquor. And he's a very successful man. I think he just wants to retire and wants to begin to divest ah. himself of stuff. And I just think, or, or, and, and he was looking for a loophole. And what happened, of course, 
that, that you know, that gave him the loophole was digital publishing. Um, mm. We just simply, and, and also, we've been doing this thing with no staff and, and just, you know, I, I hit a burnout wall after 10 years of just like, uh, I don't think, yeah. but any, but, but now, you know, so he just pulled it, I think because probably he wanted to retire. Maybe he thought he had a buyer. Yeah. Who knows? I know um, he thought he had a buyer in my boss for a period of time, I think. Yeah, he uh, did. But, I and, think he and, just thought that for sure he would do it, but little does he know. See, one of the things we did is we went, because my boss's company, you know, they do advertising with big magazines. And right. part of it when it comes to advertising is you have to sell X amount of magazines. Right. Um, so they deal with big magazines. So we went through one of the big publishers, which is even more expensive. So we're dealing with, you know, a big company that right. handles this stuff. So my boss wanted to do the best of the best and make it look beautiful and be wonderful, which it was. But he was spending so much money. That's what it, it came down to. Well, that's what happened with Peter Kuyper and, and the yeah, others. Yeah, and so and this yes. guy, you know, then comes to John. After John is losing money already on the yeah. magazine, say, hey, do you want to buy UFO magazine? And it's like, yeah. Yeah. Know, right. Would buy something that doesn't make money. And I, and it seemed apparent since that UFO magazine was struggling financially as well. Um, so that was just not going to happen. And so... I guess UFO Magazine's dead unless he does find a buyer. Well, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're not allowed. He he got a little bit like Mr. Potter in um, It's a Wonderful Life at the end. He was sort of like, you can't associate yourself with it anymore or use UFO. And Bill was saying, hello, it's in our history. You can't like erase our history. We did, in fact, work for it. Um, I think. Well, and when people think UFO Magazine, they think the Burns. That's nice. That's not, it doesn't make There's the actors no happy. But, that. <laughs> but well, that was a long time ago. So yeah, but people's you know, memory and, don't last that long. <laughs> I know. I know. I'll be uh, I'll be watching that very same thing happen. But the the um, so in my mind, and I'm sure you probably well, well you tell me this. Mm-hmm. You guys, uh, how many issues did you put out? Twenty four. Okay, and that was were they monthly or bi monthly? Bi-monthly, yeah, because as you said, it's a lot of work, and we right. we put the first one together. We were like, there's no way we can put all this together in a month. Right, and how many pages was it? Is it? Was um, it? Ours was typically, I think, around 100? No, pretty long. I mean, it was like around... Because we did 80 pages every time. Yeah, we were we were around 80, 90, I think, yeah. Yeah, and, and what happened, yeah, and... And when 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 I think Peter, we shortened it to seventy something, and with like well, see the that's the thing half. when when we inherited it in ninety seven, it had had its run for several years, very glossy, and uh, you know heavily you know all all color and and one of the when we took it over, uh, and we never changed this. Um, mm. We 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 made half black and white, half color, really cheap paper. Uh, and just because I thought, and I, I still think, that people cared about the content. They didn't care about, I mean, how beautiful a picture are you going to put of a cattle mutilation? You know, <laughs> it's pretty icky stuff. Or every time, you know, every time we get uh, these, the, I'm sure you do the same thing. Every time you open up your email and there's, a, uh, there's an image and it's some kind of a blob of light. And the poor person taking it says, you know, you have no idea what I really saw. Well, it and, made it hard, yeah, because ah, we 
you know, wanted it to be beautiful as well, and our graphic designer really pushed us. So it was, it was just as difficult getting the content as getting together, you know, the, the graphics to right, right, make it right. that way. So it's it's another aspect that's well, very difficult. Are you know are you um, how can I put this? The future. What is what are? I wonder what I'm going to do, and mm. I wonder what the well, a. Radio is, has has blossomed on the internet. We're on radio right now. We're talking, mm-hmm. and people will then go to internet sites and stuff. But there, it, your site, I think, has a has a whole new life of its own, doesn't it? In terms of the news is still there. Right. Yeah, and I think that's what's really sustaining us is that um, uh, there really isn't a UFO news hub out there. There isn't um, yet, but you should be it, don't you think? Well, and we are. So, I mean, right now, I think we definitely are. I mean, some people have been starting to call us, you know, almost like mainstream media, which is it is nice because we do interact a lot with mainstream media uh, more and more, which is also nice. But um, so that's great. I really appreciate that. And like, you know, I'm Mr. Pollyanna. You know, I, I love everybody and stuff. And I love that about you. You have like UFO <laughs> Digest out there and everything, which is great. Right. Um, but they do a lot of opinion pieces and a lot of uh, of of other stuff, which is good. You know, uh, I think that's great. People should definitely check them out. Uh, they may be somewhat similar. There's UFO Chronicles, who we work with quite a bit because he, you know, does a, a kind of an aggregate of uh, a news out there. But, uh, you know, we every day are focused on all the news going on. And really, that's what, you know, you had asked me about burnout when I was on your show. Right. That's what I can't pull myself away from. Because even with MUFON, John Schuessler was the one who used to send out uh, emails and information about UFO stories and got me into it. And once he stopped, I picked that up and I couldn't stop. So uh, I've yeah, been doing yeah. that ever since then. I started up my own webpage and podcast, UFO Think Tank. And really, that all evolved into open minds uh, to where we do that now every day where we post all of the stories that are out there and then write about some of them ourselves. And uh, even when I got my own burnout a couple of years ago, I even left open minds for a nine-month period or oh, something I didn't, like wow. that. Yeah, I couldn't stop. I was still that's exactly that's that's that I'm glad to hear this because yeah, I yeah it's like breathing I, I I created a website called UFO Daily News and uh, I still kept posting news on there uh, because it's like I don't know I, I watch the news and I can't help but want to share it with people yeah me and too when I see the hole out there I'm like you know there's people need this news and information. And there are some other news outlets out there here and there, but they get so clicky and they're not inclusive. And then it's like, oh, we're just going to share it with our well, group it's of friends worse. and researchers. It, it's worse. There's number number one, you and I probably appreciate more than most that this field has a, a very distinct history that mm. shouldn't be lost in time. Right. Just w- just w- how, how you w- were curious about the history of UFO magazine and one thing leads to another. It's also the history of the UFO field. And... You know the, yes. you know, like Terrence McKenna is in the pages, the old pages of UFO magazine, crop circles. That that phenomenon sort of started. Again, UFO magazine started in '86, and Vicky yeah. was careful to to include everything. She included New Age stuff. She included conspiracy stuff, and 
when Don came into the picture, he was a he was a former um, uh, uh, let's say uh, all, you know, he was he was he was more interested in nuts and bolts, mm-hmm. and so the magazine kind of you know thank God stayed in that. Uh, arena but they did in <laughs> fact cut off like a like a diseased limb they cut off everything to do with spirituality and all that stuff that mm. was too woo woo but then but then alien abduction kind of began to become a thing uh during those years Whitley Strieber and and babies being taken away from women you know in the, in the night you know you, uh fetuses and stuff so yeah you know, so so there's this weird history about this. It's a it's a hit. Oh, and then the biggest thing I I'm proud of is Colin Bennett. I love Colin Bennett. He's a great thinker, and he ties all this stuff together. This is part of our mythology, our American mythology at this point. Mm-hmm. And and so when you talk about some some sites are clicks, some sites only specialize in hybrid interactions, and some sites only do nuts and bolts, and so. It's a. I can't stay away from it either. That's what's fascinating about the whole thing. And yeah. I, yeah. But the the thing is, you at least joined Mufon, and did this with an. Well, I joined the magazine, so it's, uh, my eyes were open. But but for me, I'm I'm kind of aware of how much I've lost in terms of um, how many cooties have 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 gotten stuck on me now, <laughs> and how I can't go back to mainstream. I don't think uh-huh. just just like Bill does not get he thinks he doesn't get uh, the right response for some of his nonfiction books that are not in this field at all because of UFO stuff. Mm. So it's but but I think it, we are going to be you're going to be the one probably to break into the mainstream. I really think so. Uh, mm. And that's what I wanted to ask you because it's called Open Minds. Do you feel an obligation to keep your mind open and to look at everything? Well, and you know, you know who challenges us on this uh, is Mike Clellan, and uh, and he wrote a story, and he did an excellent job with a story. I think about uh, abduction and how his feeling, and 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 he showed how there are abduction researchers who feel lots of people who see UFOs have also been abducted. They just don't know it. Right. Pretty out there story. But it's a it's a valid story, like you said. It, you know, it's part of the mythology. It's worth writing about and and sharing with people. And I love the story because he went and did interviews. He got interviews from all of the leading abduction researchers, and you know, so it's a very journalistically done great story. Yeah. Uh, and and he he came to us and and how this came about is he's like, you guys don't cover enough of this sort of stuff. Right. And uh, we told him, well, it just doesn't come across our desk that much. Um. You know, it's not that we're against it. And maybe our bias, you know, keeps us from writing that stuff. And uh, But we're not against it, and it's not a, a conscious thing we're doing. And if you wanted to write something about that, we would love to review it and guide you and, and print that. So he he called us on that, and I'm glad he did. And he wrote his story, and we posted it, and I, I think he did a great job. So, yeah, sometimes people do question. We are open-minded do a lot of people say well you debunk too much well you know what oh, we're looking for yeah. answers that's we're not number one for blind faith exactly that's number one that's your number one uh, mandate i think is to debunk if it's if exactly. it's possible because it, it's the stuff you can't it's just like blue book it's the stuff yeah. that they can't debunk that we're we're focusing on here we mm-hmm. could care less i mean 
But on the other hand, we as Americans are too quick to uh, be told it's swamp gas, and then everybody walks away and says, "Oh, yep. thank God." Uh, yeah. We all want we all want it to be debunked, really, um, because. We only right. okay. We want the ones that are hovering over our house to be debunked, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if it's on the other side of the world, you know, maybe yeah. not. Maybe you know. Because, but I mean, we're just really yeah looking for answers, keeping an open mind, and covering that stuff when it comes around um, because it is interesting and and it is part of the mythology, and I think that's great. And I don't know, you can't blame us too much. I mean, we have videos on on uh, Dan Burrish and. Um, uh, you know, a lot of really out there stuff that, uh, you know, even, you know, we personally don't feel is, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, the real deal, but that story, uh, haunts me because Mm -hmm. I really, when, because, because, um, uh, I can't forget, I forget who brought us that story, but, um, very much made a big theatrical kind of, um, um, uh, thing about it, you know, in other words, Ron Garner, Garner, his name is. Yeah. He, he yep. was. He brought us the story, and it, and he made it very serious, and he made us sit down and in a darkened room watch bearish and stuff, and we investigated like crazy and came up to we came to our own conclusions and wrote a, a cover story on it, um, and felt that it was completely hogwash, yeah. and um, and the reason I bring this up or talk about this one is because. Project Camelot drives me crazy because they they do it all. They do everybody, and they give Mm -hmm. them all the same level. There's no editorial. It's like we're going to take everybody in, and we're just going to let you judge. And I think when you find out something's not true, you owe it to your readers to tell them that. Why waste people's time? Mm -hmm. You know, why ask other people? I mean, if you know for a fact it's not true, if you saw the person kind of – uh, you know, making stuff up as as they're going along. That's your, you know, that it, why be a reporter if you if you don't report that? That mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not believe- so anyway. So yeah, and so yeah, I agree. And I mean, uh, people get you know, we brought to the public this guy uh, Frank. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but a guy, an Air Force guy, uh, old an older man, yeah. and he just kind of makes stuff up. And yeah. and he, when Antonio interviewed him, he knew this. But uh, we posted the interview, and it went wild. Yeah. And people get so upset, but, you know, there's so many holes and changing of the story. And, and, well, and the same thing with, you know, people, Burrish. Luckily, these days, Burrish was more popular before. But, you know, one of the funny things is is my boss was really into his story, and he really liked it. And he treated him so nice. Oh, nice. They came to the conference. I remember that. I remember reading about that because they... This is funny. Yeah. And there was a... Yeah. Well, this was weird because his wife's name was Marsha Kane. And there was another lady named Marsha Kane who was there. Same name, which is weird. So they came in to check in. They said, you know, it should be under Marsha Kane. It was actually under his name. They said Marsha Kane's already checked in. They got upset and left. People saw them because, you know, our conference, we have so many people. There's people all over the place. People saw them walk into their little red car and drive away. He writes this big thing that the government had people waiting for them in their room. And so MJ-12 whisked them away in a black helicopter. Ah, yeah. Well, that's the, see, that's the thing. It's, it's, yeah, I lost my train of thought because that's shocking, really. Um, Isn't it funny? 
Yeah. Well, well, the thing is, yeah, I can't think of what I was going to say. I was going to add something to that. But, but you're oh, sorry. Yeah. But yeah. Anyways. Yeah. yeah that's interesting. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but that's a demonstration of, of uh, well, of I when guess. When you know something. Yeah. Yeah. When you know something. And we certainly share that. And we share when we know stuff. And sometimes people don't like it. Or uh, I always share when Michael Horn tries to kind of. Um, be completely fraud, false in his claims and well, well that's, us and, and and then of course what you're going to run into people is people get mad and blow it off and it's like a, oh, yeah man. a lot of these th- people that we're mentioning they are themselves little economic empires you know they yeah. they they bring in the um the mm-hmm. the uh, well you know they bring in they fill the auditorium and um oh but what I yeah and, and so they the love same, the controversy yeah, uh, yeah so anyway. Just anyway. brings them in the spotlight somewhere. Yeah. So uh, I guess before I let you go, now that we're on this topic, and I know because we've been talking for a long time and we could probably go on forever, but like you said, you you like to share the truth with who are the charlatans out there. Is there are there any some that really catch your eye or that where you're like everybody needs to know that this person or that person is is I want to give you the a chance to say Warren my audience on who uh, to stay away from so i'm in trouble with like an additional group of people um not, if you want you don't have to if you don't yeah. want to but well, there, uh, there if, are, you, if you would like to there are so many more um i don't want to, well here's the thing each of these um entities um they have economic reasons to keep on making their story bigger and bigger. And, and you know, you know that sometimes somebody will come to you with a really good story and it's real and it's true. And then they mm-hmm. become famous and then they have to keep making that story bigger and better. Yeah. And, and then, you know, so there's a lot of that. That's a and, really big problem. What you just said, too. Yeah. I, I think people would be shocked to find out how much that really happens. And it's so sad. Yeah. Well, what else can they do? You know, I mean, if you if you're only one story, you have to uh, make it worse and worse and worse and bigger and so forth and so on, because you're going to ask for donations and then you're going to ask for more donations. And well, maybe you'll agree, but I think Travis Walton is an example of someone who doesn't blow up or create more stories. And he does well with, you know, the original incident. That's true. That's true, and and it's a profoundly life changing thing. Mm-hmm. That he could say, "Oh, I, you know what? The aliens came back. I saw them again yeah. last week." Well, on the other hand, have you talked? Well, he's he is ripe with additional information. Let's just put it that way. More yeah. things seem to be happening to him, and I think there's a there's a deeper well there than he has even let on. And I think, you know, I think there's many more interviews with Travis. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of we have future theater, so we still keep our hand in. But because it's future theater and like Open Minds, it's not UFO magazine. We can go to other things a little bit. We have an audience that gets really mad if we stay too far away from UFOs. But um, we're right now exploring spiritual things a bit. And I have mm-hmm. to say, um, someone. Um, gave sent a link uh, t- last night to a movie that I've thoroughly enjoyed, and it's all about channeling. Mm-hmm. And I've always um, liked channeling the least of all the things mm-hmm. in the field. I, I have felt that 
so many people come in and they just kind of put on a funny voice. Why the funny voice? And they've just, you know. But this movie is, the minute I saw it was about channeling, I was going to turn it off. But out of respect for the person who sent the link, I watched it. And I was, I found it totally gripping. And I think it's called Tuned In. I should give you the exact thing Mm -hmm. since I watched it last night. Um, It's really shockingly fascinating. And if you're a person who feels channeling's kind of icky, Mm-hmm. You might want to check this movie out. It is astounding, and you might stay with it. And um, looking as we speak, I believe it's called Tuned In. And in fact, let me just kind of um, let me find my little pile of stuff here. Okay. Ay, ay, ay. Um, yeah, digital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, are you staying with? You're staying as editor for 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 a bit, right? Yeah, indefinitely, really. The plans are, uh, you know, we can run pretty tight in that we have the Congress. Uh, we're looking at options, possible options for 2016 to grow it. Uh, we just got, you know, the Guinness World Record for the biggest conference. So. Well, I know, I know, and I, I believe we'd be in the book, the Guinness World Record, for the smallest. I believe we went, well, <laughs> we we sponsored the least attended Smallest one ever, I believe. Oh wow! I don't know. They get pretty small. <laughs> no, this is this was bad. Um, uh, literally, at the end of a of a of a showing of one of the movies, uh, you know, there were only three people left in the audience, and two of a, two of them were Bill and me. Um, oh it, my No, gosh. it's called. This is called Tuning In. That's the name okay. of this video, and I don't have too much more information. But if you just go on YouTube or Google Tuning In, um, you will find this. You, you know, I. And the director is David Thomas, uh, so you can kind of put him in there too. I don't cool. know, and this was from 2008. So, and it's people that you've probably heard of. There were these five cool. channelers. One is a guy who channels a thing called Bashar, mm-hmm. so forth and so on. And and I'm going. I'm personally right now doing my research. I'm going down each of these people, trying to find the holes in their story because mm-hmm. it's a very compelling movie. You. You won't have you won't be wasting your time if you watch this. I think so. Okay, I'm yeah. gonna check it out. I, I, yeah, uh, sounds very interesting. Uh, this was well, not so bad, Alejandro. I told you this yeah. was completely fascinating. <laughs> I know people are gonna love this. Ick, they're gonna hate it. They're gonna no. Hate they're it. gonna. You're crazy. They're gonna love. I know my audience. They're gonna well listen. Love this, and I knew they would. I knew you would have a lot. Of, I've been fascinated getting the history with i know there's tons of people who want to hear because they're asking us all the time what happened with ufo magazine what happened so tons of people are going to want to know this it's whole history yeah the history with with you all in corso it's 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 very fascinating well let me let me um make sure i say this at the end i'm saying this about linda moulton howe and paula harris i don't like to i don't really like to knock down other people who are working hard and i'm saying mm-hmm. both of these things as a way of kind of making a bridge if possible if they were to hear such things, I would like to bury the hatchet and, you know, start anew. I don't, I'm not doing this to say either of those two people, um, they've got a, a huge body of work, each of them. Um, mm. But this Corso thing, you know, personally has made it so that I've never been able to be friends and stuff. So I wanted to just mm. kind of put it out there that way. I'm, I'm a person yeah. too, I guess. But and I, you know, I believe, you know, that Paula and I have been able to stay friends. We we've at times been very close, even though we don't see eye to eye on everything. Yeah. And uh, I know she, I I think, has more problems with that than I do, 
because I don't mind, but I, I sometimes feel like maybe she's kind of like, oh, Alejandro, and keeps me at a distance sometimes. But uh, I understand what you're saying. So, uh, and I, I think, think that it's important that yeah. you said that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think the And thing it's is, okay to disagree. Yeah, but but try to support your fellow journalists yeah. here and try to yeah. get the story out. And, and as, respect if we, each other for our own go, perspectives. Exactly. Exactly. Could try to go as a group. If we go as a group, we will become the mainstream. You wait and mm-hmm. see. But we, yeah. but not if we, you know. Chris Corso said this. He never had to worry about uh, disinformation because the UFO field takes care of that. They stab yeah. each other in the back. So he was right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yep. This has been wonderful. Um, I think we'll definitely need to talk again because this has been so fun. And I'm sure there's more we can we can talk about. Well, we'll but, say. Uh, thank <laughs> we'll you so much for coming on the show, and uh, I think that many many other people should interview you because you have a, a lot of great stuff to say. Thanks for being so persistent. And I know. Uh, yeah. I'm glad I was, and and I knew it would be great, and it has been. Thank you. Thank you so much. For, to Nancy for joining us. I think she was uh, a great interview. She is a really cool lady. What a history. I mean, some really interesting stuff. I personally, because I'm fascinated with, uh, you know, her and Burns and their work in this field, and I'm also fascinated by uh, the history of UFO Magazine um, because it was such a big deal in this field, has been for so long. And uh, so I thought this interview was completely fascinating, and she's great. She's a lot of fun. So thank you so much to Nancy uh, for joining us. You can go to read more about her and Bill at futuretheater.com, futuretheater.com. No funny business. Sometimes people have a underscore dash or something like that. Nothing like that, just futuretheater.com. This is her and Bill Burns' podcast on Dark Matter Radio. Um, They're also on the PSN radio network, which also uh, broadcasts UFO Think Tank, or I'm sorry, Open Minds UFO Radio, uh, formerly UFO Think Tank Radio. But uh, So you can hear both of us on the air there at PSN. Um, So you can go listen to... Nancy and Bill interview different UFO people on their own podcast. So really cool. Thank you again to Nancy for being on the show. That was awesome. Speaking of awesome, I do want to mention for any of you that live in the Sedona area, I'm actually going to be speaking at Sedona MUFON on Friday, and I'm going to be talking about official government UFO investigation agencies. So these are active uh official governmental organizations. I'm going to talk about them and uh, why they got started, the details behind that, and really the amazing UFO cases that got these guys rolling. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And um, I'm also speaking in Phoenix MUFON in uh, December, so on different topics, but we'll talk more about that later. So if you can make it, that would be a lot of fun to see you all. Also, uh, you can see Jason, Maureen, and I on a brand new episode of Spacing Out that we just launched Friday. Of course, we have one up every Friday. And uh, I don't think I've mentioned this before, but we have a Chinese UFO Files video up, too, where we talk about the history of, of UFOs in China and some really interesting and cool stuff when it gets to the history there, including how the Chinese government helped 
get ufology started in China, printed their first UFO magazine, really, uh, for a long time, and uh, also that paid to get UFO sightings translated for Wendell Stevens to create a book on Chinese UFOs. So really, really cool stuff. Uh, I think Antonio and I talked about this before on, on a show. We did a show on it, I think. If not, we should have. But really cool stuff, so you'll have to check that out on our YouTube channel. Of course, these stories and everything you could get to at openminds.tv. Again, we've got the UFO Congress coming up. The rooms have not sold out yet at the host hotel, but I, I'm sure they're getting really close. This is about the time of year when they do and are uh, are sub or uh people signing up for the conference is, is at pace with last year, which was our biggest one ever. So uh, we're really starting to get a lot of registrations, and I'm sure that the hotel is going to fill up. So go to ufocongress.com to register and look up the hotel and reserve yourself a room. You can also find that information at openminds.tv. It's going to be an awesome year. We're going to have some really, really cool stuff this year. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and a lot of people are going to be able to make it that haven't been able to make it before, like uh, other podcasters, like Martin Willis, who, you know, I'm on his podcast every week talking news, and also Angel Espino, uh, and I'm on his too talking news sometimes. So a lot of friends uh, we haven't met face-to-face -face or don't get to see often are going to be there. So it's going to be a lot of fun, so be sure to register for that. And remember, past videos you can watch at our video portal at openminds.tv. It only costs a couple bucks, and you can watch some of... Uh, the past incredible discussions uh, we've got really the the first one 2011 uh, videos going up now and and some of the other videos we've done and uh, we've got new videos going up there every month if you just want to have full access to you can subscribe for something like 5.99 and and then you have full access to all the videos and we put more up every month for you there too so check that out the video portal at openminds.tv all right, thank you all so much for listening. Thanks to Caleb Hanks for the opening and close music. You can go listen to more of his music at clerkchronicles.com. You'll find a link on the radio page uh, at openminds.tv. Thanks, Caleb. Let's check out some of his music now as we wrap it up. Thank you all so much for joining us. We will talk to you next week with another great show. We're going to have Travis Malton. We're going to talk about his upcoming conference and his up coming Skywatch at the location where he was taken. I'll be there. Maureen will be there. Hopefully, we will not get taken, but if we do, we're going to have our video guy, Michael, with us, and we will film the entire thing and put it up on YouTube. Even if we don't get taken, we're going to film this stuff and put it up on YouTube. So either way, it's going to make a great YouTube video. So we'll talk to you all next week. Adios, muchachos.